I used to think money was success, this job status was success. I've stopped that. My my definition of success is if I show up every day as my true authentic self and I take action that leads me towards my goal of building this movement globally, then I'm successful. Welcome to Smashing the Plateau. We help consultants, coaches, entrepreneurs, and small business owners build their businesses after long careers as employees. We believe you should be able to do more of what you love and get paid what you're worth consistently. I'm your host, David Schreiner-Khan. Today on Smashing the Plateau, I'm speaking with Drew Duraney. In today's episode, you will learn how to turn unexpected professional and personal adversity into success on your own terms. Stay with us to hear all the details. How do you feel about where your business is today? Most of us do our best work in collaborative, supportive environments. Come explore ours. The Smashing the Plateau community can help you build your business through engaging discussions, live events, a private communication platform, accountability partners, and lots more. Learn more at smashingtheplateau.com. Now let's welcome Drew Duraney. Because he endured four life traumas in a nine-month span without seeking support, Drew now knows asking for help is a strength. He is dedicated to helping build a stronger man who is prepared to face adversity healthier and come through stronger in more empowering ways. After 30 years serving in hospitals and healthcare and as a franchise owner, he gave it all up to address men's empowerment as the men's real catalyst speaker, a new number one international best-selling author and a podcaster from Caving In to Crushing It. Drew, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, David. I am honored to be here. So I'm sure there's a lot behind this uh, very short introduction about four life traumas, plus a, a long career in hospitals and healthcare and as a franchise owner. Let's start off by talking a little bit about your career. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, I always wanted to be in the in the service profession, and just like a lot of kids my age, I I wanted to be a doctor, and uh, I had focused on pediatrician because I I love children, so that was my my kind of my my route, and it's my route has changed over the years very very circuitously. You know, so I I ended up um, not following through with that for a variety of reasons. Went into psychology, got my two, I got a my bachelor's and master's in psychology. And then, you know, I really I was talking to a professor and I, he said, what do you want to do when you get out of here? And I said, you know what? I love healthcare and I love data and I love human behavior. He said, you ever thought about healthcare administration? I said, I don't know. We even know what that is. I knew there were doctors and nurses in four walls, not really thinking it was a business entity. So that's what I, that's what I did. I ended up, I was started out in the procurement department at a hospital in, in New Jersey doing a capital capital equipment purchasing and and I really enjoyed that piece and then I was asked by the the director of the operating room at that hospital if I'd like to be the first non-nurse to be the support services manager so I traded in this jacket and tie for scrubs and I handled the materials manager in the operating room which is a, an amazing experience so that's how my healthcare uh, career started and um, from there it, it evolved and I would was at five different hospitals ranging from procurement to operations. 
uh, strategic planning and business development. And then I had the opportunity in the last uh, half of my career to go into patient advocacy. And uh, I worked uh, for five years at a hospital in New Jersey uh, in patient experience. And then I was in uh, Manhattan at a large teaching hospital in Manhattan. And I did the same uh, you know, patient advocacy, patient experience there. Ended my career as director of uh, patient experience and patient relations at a hospital in New York State. And uh, came full circle because uh, I knew that if I couldn't, if I couldn't do the clinical aspect of helping patients and families by the bedside, I can do it uh, in patient advocacy. So it's, it was a wonderful career. So it sounds like not only a wonderful career, but also one that had a very linear progression. That uh, it had linear in a sense. Um, it was still in healthcare. I always craved learning new things. So by moving from the operating room and materials management to go into strategic planning and business development, I got to hone my skills in feasibility studies and, and profit and loss uh, stuff, depending on what the demand and the need was for the patient. So I, I saw myself as ending well-rounded in the healthcare that I could talk about any topic in healthcare process or anything healthcare. And that's my comfort zone. So linear in, in, in one respect and circuitous in another. Right. And, and then there was a very nonlinear pivot. <laughs> it was a tremendous nonlinear pivot, which gets me to those four, I call them faith-shaking uh, events. And, um, you know, any one of those is could be considered a crisis for somebody like myself. At that time, I did not have strong self-identity. And I define self-identity as self-respect, self-trust, self-love, and self-confidence. And with that, that I'll say weak uh, self-identity, when my divorce, I uh, found out in 2015 from my best friend, my wife was going to leave me. Um, and we went through three years of mediation. The divorce was final in April of 2018, which I call the first trauma there, even though I knew for three years we we're going to get divorced, when you have that paper in your hand that with a, with legally it says it's over, that's only one piece of closure when you get a divorce. And uh, at that point, I was ready to rise up and go to chapter two of my life and, and, and really kind of look at opportunities. And that's when the three other traumas in very quick motion happened all at once. I celebrated my 50th birthday on October 6th of 2018 through myself, my own birthday party. I had people from all parts of my life come, one of the best days of my life. And little did I know that was when the next three things were going to happen. Because right around that same time, I submitted a HIPAA violation at the hospital I worked at. The manager of my department inadvertently uh, discarded patient information and I reported it. Two weeks later, I was called into HR with my boss and the head of HR and I was relieved of my duties for a leadership change. And as an at-will employee, it is what it is. I had an idea why escorted out and uh, the manager in my department who perpetrated the HIPAA violation was charged with shipping all my stuff to my house. And seven weeks later on LinkedIn, I saw a notification that said, congratulate so-and-so for her promotion. So she was promoted to my director's position. And I always say for doing the right thing, I was uh, <laughs> chastised. So so on my way out, you know, you had all the victim mindset, why did this happen, all that. And I didn't have much time to really wallow in that self-pity because 10 days later, I brought my 14-year-old son to his therapy session. And he was one of my three kids. He was the one most impacted detrimentally from the divorce. And as we went in, he asked me to sit in the waiting room, which customarily he wanted me in with him. So I thought it was progress that he could be with the therapist uh, by himself. 
10 minutes later, the therapist comes out crying and asks me to come in. And my son's crying. He says, I'm sorry, daddy. Turns out the therapist could tell that he really wasn't himself and asked him that poignant question, can you promise me you won't harm yourself in the next two weeks? And he said, I can't promise that. Turns out he had suicidal ideations the night before. Thankfully, he was on the phone with his girlfriend at the time and she talked him down. So he attributes her for saving his life. With that, we knew it was a cry for help because uh, we had, if he wanted to do something, we he had every opportunity to do so. So we had him evaluated. He was released to me 24-7, said he's not going to hurt himself. He loves his father, wants to live with dad. So we, in looking for the proper assistance for him, it took till about December 8th to be able to do so. So you're talking about 40 days where I was with him 24-7. And at that moment, I realized it was a blessing that I was let go from the hospital. I saw it as God pushing me out, saying, if you're not going to do this yourself, I'm going to do it for you. And he and my son and I bonded. And it was probably the best thing that ever happened because I wouldn't have been able to spend the physical and emotional time with him had I still been working there. So so with that, um, when we had the opportunity to get him some assistance, when we were leaving, he pointed to my parents who came with us because they only lived a mile and a half away and helped raise the kids. He said, I hope nothing happens to them while I'm here. And I said, nothing's going to happen. Your health is most important. Please take care of that. He must have had some kind of foreshadowing premonition or something because on Christmas Eve of 2018, my father uh, unexpectedly got sick and he was rushed to the emergency room, had surgery, and he was about three, three weeks in intensive care. And my father passed away on January 13th of 2019 while, while Nick had you know, so that was added to his trauma. So those what I are what I call my four faith shaking moments that uh, at that point I was ready to pack it all in and uh, questioned everything about my life. Wow. So um, how did you move forward from that? It's a very good question. If you asked me at the time, I would have said I don't. Knowing what I know now, I knew that if I looked in inward and asked myself, is it worth it moving forward? My gut, my brain, and my heart would have said no. So I knew at that time I had to look outside myself for validation to find purpose in life. And I looked in the eyes of my three children, and I looked at my mother who just lost the love of her life after 51 years. And so with that, I did it for them at that point in time, not for myself. And then I did what society and everybody says men are supposed to do, and I sucked it up. I manned up didn't show my emotions, didn't look for help, didn't look for support. I just, on all adrenaline and any other chemical in my brain and gut, I just went through and, and was a rock for them because I knew that for my kids, my children and all children at that age, they were 9, 11, and 13, emulate their parents. So if dad lays down, that's what I'm teaching them. If dad pushes forward, uh, that's what I taught them. So that's what I did. And um, at that time, I shunned all my support systems. I shunned my church because I blamed God for, I, I, I remember saying uh, to him, I said, you know, I can handle the divorce. I can handle the job loss. Then you touch my kid and you take my father. So it was one of the, it was that. Of course, I had some resentment with the healthcare system and I shunned my friends uh, because I didn't think they'd understand because they haven't gone through what I went through. So I, I was in that, that mindset that I was on an island all by myself. So looking at my children and my mother, that gave me some clarity and purpose. And that clarity and purpose is what moved me from what I call the caving in stage into the coping stage, 
where I could actually clear my head and get things done. And and so that's how I, I started moving forward. And it wasn't until, you know, what's interesting is the reason I bought the franchise was kind of by accident, David, because a month before my dad got sick on his 80th birthday, I was at, we were at the house celebrating his birthday. And as I was leaving, he asked me to come in to the den. He said, Drew, I want to tell you how proud I am of you. I said, well, thanks, Dad. Why? I know you are, but why are you telling me now? He goes, I don't know how the hell you're doing it. He goes, you know, first a divorce, then the hospital shit, and then Nikki, and you're still taking care of Matthew and Emma, and you come here every day to check on your mother and me. I don't know how you're doing it. I'm just proud of you. And I know your whole life you wanted to own your own company, and I told you, don't go that route. It's too risky. My dad was with IBM for 35 years. That's what, you know, they, they that's the ibm or in him. So I listened. He said, look, if it's going to make you happy, of course, do what you need to do to make yourself happy. Your mother and I will support you no matter what. And as a 50-year-old man, I needed to hear that, the, the, the support from my dad, his blessing. And I remember giving him a kiss and a hug and telling him I loved him. And that's when I created Profit Compassion. And the intent of my company, my LLC, was to be start my own healthcare uh, consulting company to help educate doctors, all caregivers really, and patients and families how to effectively communicate so patients and families will understand the plan of care and be able to navigate it and reduce their anxiety and fear. When my dad passed away, David, I gave up that dream. Um, the self-limiting beliefs took over. You know, I don't have money because of the divorce. Who's going to, you know, who am I going to be able to consult? And I gave it up and I got a cold call uh, from a company uh, who was called Career Transitions. And they said, would you like to own a franchise? And I said, I don't want to flip burgers, no hamburgers, <laughs> no McDonald's. And she laughed. There's a plethora of service-based franchises across the country. Said, okay, let me go through the process. I decided not to look into healthcare because my ego was bruised, which again, that was cutting off my nose to spite my face. I ended up looking at 14 franchises. I bought a Schooley Mitchell franchise, which is a business, great business model, you know, independent cost reduction for businesses. I'm helping companies save money. It wasn't my passion though. So I went through the motion for three and a half years and you know when you, when something's not your passion and you don't have actually clarity in that, you spend money on wrong things and you do things that don't help you succeed. And the only saving grace was, believe it or not, COVID. We wish that never happened. There are silver linings. And I talked to people and they said, Drew, you've got a network across the globe. There are companies that are thriving during COVID. So... You know, when I just started a franchise and five months later we go into lockdown, I decided to network across the globe and I met somebody who was a book editor and I've always wanted to write a book, David. I never had the content. Well, now I have the content and uh, that was life changing because the whole process of writing that book, I would tell her my story as we were recording it and hearing my own story with my own voice into my own ears was extremely cathartic. And it did something to me inside that made me realize I got to tell my story because men just keep stuff to themselves. And by telling my story, I felt how good it felt for me. I could just imagine if other men who felt they were alone could hear my story and resonate. So I took it upon myself just to really think about that. And one morning I woke up, I said, I'm not doing this franchise thing anymore. I, I just walked away from the franchise, reached a 10-year contract, um, regardless of what the circumstances were going to be. And I started a men's support group uh, with the intent of just saying, amen, here's my story. You have a story like this? Come on board. Let's uh, let's build something. And that was that nonlinear <laughs> route that brought me where I am now. 
And now I'm just doing everything scared. I just do it and we'll see what happens because I'm doing it for the right reason. So, Yeah. And um, yeah, how is it going so far? You, you know, it's interesting because I put a lot of pressure on myself and uh, I only started this September in September of 2022. So for me, I had to kind of shift my mindset on what I considered success. And I used to think money was success. This job status was success. I've stopped that. My my definition of success is if I show up every day as my true authentic self and I take action that leads me towards my goal of building this movement globally, then I'm successful. So I'd say I'm highly successful now, David, because I've got the men's group. Uh, people know about it and people are joining. I have a podcast where I interview men who've gone through hell and come through stronger. And, you know, I've got my my book, which is about reformed, being a reformed people pleaser. So in that aspect, I'm going in the right direction. So I find myself pretty successful. Drew, can we talk a little more about the notion of defining success for yourself? Absolutely. And right. And figuring out how to pursue that, because particularly somebody who has the kinds of experiences that you've had, right? who has had a, what is perceived by many people to be a very successful career with sequential increases in status and in pay, mm -hmm. family, people dependent on you, et cetera. Mm -hmm. And you get to a point where there, are, there is one or maybe there are several trigger events mm -hmm. that from the outside look traumatic or catastrophic. Mm -hmm. And one of the data points that many people look at is um, changes in financial status, right? Which mm -hmm. if you have, have had a long, long career with a, a series of jobs and suddenly you're pushed out, mm -hmm. that certainly can impact your financial status. And if you have people who are dependent upon you and have a lifestyle that you're trying to support, mm -hmm. it can be not not only traumatic, but also very anxiety producing. Right. And needless to say, building building a business is not like getting a new job. It takes time, <laughs> right? It takes time to build up your income level. Right. And if you're doing something that is in a new field, like you're doing now, mm -hmm. it can be even harder than just starting a consulting business in the same discipline that you were in, where you have the network and you have, like, you know, a lot of the pieces. Right. How do you figure out what success looks like for yourself and how do you have the perseverance to pursue it in the face of all these obstacles? That's an extremely good question. I'm glad you asked that. Um, I, as I say, I'm a work in progress. A lot of what I'm doing now, I'm building the plane as I'm flying it, which I never used to do. I would say, number one, my mother, because what I ended up doing is I sold the marital home. So I did bring in some money for there and I you know, we live in the same town. So I moved my kids and myself in with my mom uh, so I could lend her some support in many different ways. And plus having the grand, her grandkids with her has been tremendous for her. So that, that has helped. And, you know, financially, she is helping me to get this off the ground because she believes in me. So I would say support by somebody who cares about you um, with that unconditional love, which we don't find often, is number one necessary. Number two, I've always known there's a greater purpose for me in life. I always say I wanted to help people. I just never could pinpoint how. Most men, I'm going to say about 95% of men, we hinge our self, uh, how we feel about ourselves on our occupation. And that stems back to caveman time. 
because the, 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 the men were supposed to go out and hunt and could compartmentalize that because they needed to care for their family that way where the women did everything else. And if you fast forward to right now, men still have that mental capacity to just focus on that one thing. And we still tie our self-identity to our profession. And that, that may be the one difference with the genders. And, um, you know, I'm all absolutely all for gender, e you know, equality in the workplace. Women still have that nurturing thing where family is important. Not saying men don't, but, but I read a study where it said 85% of men, their first thought in the morning is about money and business. And that usually it's not a positive thought. And that women, their first thought in the morning is about caring for their family. So there's something to that with the way the brains are wired with us. So I, un unfortunately for me, most of my life, I defined success as the money I was taking in. But there was always um, a visceral reaction in my stomach if things didn't sit right. And I, I, I really never realized what that was. What I realize now is I always do the right thing even when no one's watching. And to have a track record in, in the healthcare industry um, of doing the right thing and getting punished for it, um, it happened a lot. There was a reason why I worked for five hospitals. Every day it would start out, every time it would start out well, and over time I'd push the envelope. I had an entrepreneurial brain in an industry that frowns upon entrepreneurs. You had to work within the box. And I I would always push push to the limit to do the right thing for patients and families. And it was always the same goal as everybody at, as the higher ups wanted, but I just didn't do it the way they wanted me to do. And, you know, I was let go by two different hospitals for that. The second one was because I, you know, reported that. But, uh, you know, after a while, David, you get sick and tired of having to mold your principles to adhere to the principles of an organization. And quite often, my principles didn't align with where I worked. And it came to a point being forced out. I came to the point, I don't want to feel like this anymore. So I refuse to go back. I'm going to report to me because I could see something that's going to help somebody and I can come talk to myself and say, hey, Drew, what do you think? And Drew can talk to Drew and say, go for it. So I'm giving myself validation. <laughs> well, congratulations on where you are and, and what lies ahead. Thank you. Drew, one last question. What's your connection to community as you pursue your dreams? Uh, connection to community. I mean, my, my community, uh, I have a goal of obviously in, enlarging it. I want to reach out. I want to help those people who, who struggle when they transition out of something. And I'm specifically talking about the, the veteran community. I want to help them because, you know, in talking to a lot of veterans, when they transitioned out, whether it was their choice or not, there was no support for them. I mean, I talked to one veteran who one day he had a, he was leading an operative in Afghanistan and five days later he's on the couch in his living room. And you cannot in five days go from an industry that tells you to compartmentalize your life to real life and be able to operate even your daily activities in a healthy way. So I intend to really help the community for those individuals who have transitioned out of somewhere and there's no aftercare for them. That's wonderful. 
Drew, if someone wants to go deeper with anything we've talked about today or access any of your resources, where would be the best place for them to go? I would say my website's www.profitcompassion.com. On there, they can learn about the men's group that, that I run, uh, which really focuses on reformed people pleasers and how can we be kind without being a doormat and how can we be strong, be strong without being an a-hole? <laughs> you can be both. You can be kind and, and strong at the same time and still come out healthy and empowered. So definitely my website. I just released, uh, we had a pre-order launch of my new book called I'll Have What She's Having, Memoir of a Reformed People Pleaser. <laughs> it hit number one international bestseller in quite a few categories. So I am quite excited. It'll, be, it'll actually be out, the ebook and the paperback in in March on Amazon. So I'll get, I can give you in the show notes, I'll give you the link to pre-order it. So those would be two. I intend going to be public speaking. So you can look, look out for me there. And my podcast is from caving into crushing it. And again, all that stuff on the website, they could find everything. Sounds great. Well, Drew, I want to thank you so much for taking the time to join us today on Smashing the Plateau and share a little bit about your background and your insights. My guest today has been Drew Duraney. Thank you, Drew, for joining us. Well, thanks for having me, David. When you visit the Smashing the Plateau website at smashingtheplateau.com, you'll find a summary of each episode along with the links we mention on the show. On today's episode with Drew Duraney, we learned how to turn unexpected professional and personal adversity into success on your own terms. How do you feel about where your business is today? Most of us do our best work in collaborative, supportive environments. Come explore ours. The Smashing the Plateau community can help you build your business through engaging discussions, live events, a private communication platform, accountability partners, and lots more. Learn more at smashingtheplateau.com. I'm David Schreiner-Khan. Thank you for taking the time to listen to our show. I'll see you on our next episode. <laughs>